Hello, I'm Eric Lacasse, and this is the Messy Messianic Mama podcast. Today we'll be talking about Sukkot, so stick around for some hope, healing, and maybe even some laughs. Welcome, welcome to another Messy Messianic Mama podcast. Today is September 13th, 2021. I hope y'all are getting ready for Kol Nidre and Yom Kippur, which is coming up Wednesday night and Thursday during all day. Um, it is a day of repentance and fasting, and um, it's definitely the most somber feast, um, and it's considered the most holy of all the um, different feasts of the Lord. But today, we're going to talk about Sukkot. I do want to apologize in advance. I know I sound a little under the weather. That's because I am. I'm pretty sure I have a sinus infection. Um, I had COVID last year, but um, pretty sure it's a sinus infection because there are times when my teeth hurt. (laughs) But I'm obviously a little bit congested and coughing and things of that nature. So just bear with me and um, we're going to dive right into Sukkot, which means Feast of Tabernacles. It is a fall festival and lasts seven days from the 15th to the 21st of the Jewish month of Tishri, typically in September and October. Um, Sukkot is a plural of sukkah, which means tabernacle, booth, tent, or temporary shelter. Now, this uh, week's tour portion is Hazinu, which means listen. The Torah um, section is Deuteronomy chapter 32, 1 through 52. So actually not a very long Torah portion this week. And then the half Torah portion is from 2 Samuel chapter 22, 1 through 51. And then the Brit Hadasha is Matthew chapter 21, 33 to 46. So if you struggle on a weekly basis to read the Torah portions, this is a really great week to read it because it's not that long. But um As usual, it does have, um, there are some understandings and um, links to the different feasts that we're doing right now. So I would encourage you to go ahead and read that. Now, um, as most of you know, who have um, listened to my podcast before, I have a book that I encourage you to get. Um, last time I looked on Amazon, I think it was $125, which I cannot imagine me ever having spent that much money on a book, but, um, I must've gotten it during a sale or something, but it's a complete guide to celebrating our Messiah in the festivals by Susan Mortimer. Now, not everything, um, in here do I agree with, but for the most part I do, as I say, almost every single week, the only person you're going to agree with hundred percent is yourself. And even then it's debatable. So... Um, I do really, uh, appreciate how in depth she goes with all these different, um, feasts, um, in this book. So, um, a lot of it I'm going to be reading when I'm reading, um, excerpts from the Bible. A lot of them will be abridged today and not necessarily from the tree of life version. Cause I'm not hundred percent sure which version she reads from. It could be the complete Jewish Bible. Um, but Sukkot is the third in the three festival cycle of mandatory annual pilgrimages to Jerusalem. So these three recount the history of Israel. Passover or Pesach reminds us of Israel's deliverance from slavery in Egypt. Pentecost or Shavuot is a celebration of the giving of the Torah, God's laws at Mount Sinai. The Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot 
reminds us of the time that the Israelites wandered for 40 years in the desert, living in temporary shelters. So Leviticus 23 to 33-43, to I'm going to read straight out of my Bible, so we get the whole thing and not just the abridged. But I think it's, it is a little bit long, but it's very important because it's all about Sukkot. So Adonai spoke to Moses saying, speak to Benai Israel saying, in the seventh month, Sorry, I actually lost my place already. um, On the 15th day of the seventh month is the feast of Sukkot for seven days to Adonai. On the first day, there is to be a holy convocation. You are to do no laborious work. For seven days, you are to bring an offering by fire to Adonai. The eighth day will be a holy convocation to you, and you are to bring an offering by fire to Adonai. It is a solemn assembly. You shall do no laborious work. These are the Moedim of Adonai, which you are to proclaim to be holy convocations, to present an offering by fire to Adonai, a burnt offering, a grain offering, a sacrifice, and drink offerings, each on its own day. Besides those of the Shabbatot of Adonai, and besides your gifts, all your vows and all your free will offerings, which you give to Adonai. So on the 15th day of the seventh month, when you have gathered in the fruits of the land, you are to keep the feast of Adonai for seven days. First day is to be a Shabbat rest, and the eighth day will also be a Shabbat rest. On the first day, you are to take choice fruit of trees, branches of palm trees, boughs of leafy trees, and willows of the brook, and rejoice before Adonai your God for seven days. You are to celebrate it as a festival to Adonai for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You are to celebrate it in the seventh month. You are to live in Sukkot for seven days. All the native-born in Israel are to live in Sukkot, so that your generations may know that I have Benai Israel to dwell in Sukkot when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am Adonai, your God. So Moses declared to Benai Israel, the Moedim of Adonai. So this is also supposed to be uh, really the happiest of um, feasts, feasts and festivals of the Lord, but it's a reminder for Sukkot for us to remember the ways that God tabernacled or dwelt with his people. In Acts 7, 44 to 47, Stephen summarized it just before he was martyred. Our forefathers had the tabernacle of the testimony in the desert. It had been made as God directed Moshe. Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua or Yehoshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out. It remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide a dwelling place for the God of Yahuv. But it was Solomon, or Shlomo, who built the house for him. During Sukkot, we, uh, they offered sacrifices for the nations of the world. All the nations were invited to join in the festivities of the Feast of Tabernacle as a foretaste of the peace that will be in the new heaven and the new earth when God will again dwell with man. Zechariah foretells a day when all the nations of the world will travel to Jerusalem to celebrate the festival together. Zechariah 14, 16-17 says, Then the survivors from all the nations that have attacked Jerusalem will go up year after year to worship the king, Adonai Almighty, and to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. If any of the peoples of the earth do not group up to Jerusalem to worship the king, Adonai Almighty, they will have no rain. 
Another name for this festival is Hag Ha'asif, because it comes near to the fall harvest of figs, pomegranates, dates, and grapes. It also celebrates the harvest workers who live in temporary shelters out in the fields. Our Thanksgiving Day is patterned after this harvest festival. Um, one thing that I'm really excited about this year, uh, I had the foresight to go ahead and I bought myself a fig tree and I planted it and I wasn't sure, I don't know about you, but I actually never had a fresh fig before until I think last year or two years ago, we were visiting some friends and her granddaughter, who's actually half Israeli, gave me these cute little pieces of fruit. And I'm like, what are these? Because I'd actually only ever seen dried figs. And I'm not a huge fan of them. And she's like, oh, this this is a fig. I'm like, no, it's not. So she taught me how to eat it the right way. And um, my daughter and I actually went out there last week. And some of the figs were ripe. So we actually took them and ate them right off of the fig tree. And I'm so excited. So this is a good reminder, too. Like, hey, the harvest is here. Go ahead and, and uh, pluck those figs right off the tree and eat them. Because they are so, so good. The season of our joy is yet another name for this holiday. It is the, the most joyous of the Jewish holy days and comes only five days after the most solemn one, the day of atonement. Now see here, she says the Jewish holy days. I don't necessarily like that term. Yes, it was for the Jewish people, but it also is for the, these are feasts of the Lord. Um, I think that we get very confused and we confuse even those who are Christian believers. This is why they don't celebrate these feasts, because they think they're just for the Jews. Um, they're not. Um, the Jews were not the only ones who were out um, on at the foot of Mount Sinai waiting for the laws of Moses. It was also um, a lot of different people who had come with the Hebrews out, out of Egypt. So I think that's a really good reminder. I know I'm kind of nitpicking there, but something to think about. Um Yom Kippur um, is a day of atonement, and during the season of our joy, the worries and problems of life are put aside for a whole week. We are commanded to be joyful even when things are bad. And you'll read that, if you read that again, I actually already read it, Leviticus 23, 39-41. Um, Sukkot leads into praying for the rain and rejoicing in the law, which is Simcha Torah, which are separate holidays, but often celebrated as part of Tabernacles or Sukkot on the eighth day. And um, I know our congregation, we do um, celebrate Simchat Torah. We have um, these cute little flags that we uh, put in on top of an apple. And we have all the children who are in our congregation walk around and praising and dancing um, while we play some music. And it's just a fun time. And we, you know, the children walk around behind the Torah and, um, it really is just a really joyous time. I'm very excited this year will be the first year our family's actually <laughs> going to be observing Sukkot. So I'm super excited about that. We already have our tents up and, um, my husband and I have been slowly but surely trying to prepare different meals and things, um, that we're going to try and cook out in the fire pit. We've also because especially because this is our first year we don't necessarily have all the tools and have enough money to buy all the camping equipment we need so we're going into this with the understanding that it's okay if it's not perfect it's okay if we can't uh, we don't end up being able to spend seven nights sleeping outside in the tent um, but it is in our backyard so um, I don't see any reason why we shouldn't be able to but you never know 
So during Yeshua's time, the people went up to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot, and each family built a temporary shelter or sukkah and stayed in it the whole week, except for when it rained. Family and friends shared meals and enjoyed fellowship in the sukkah. Thousands of people filled Jerusalem and booths, Sukkot, were everywhere. Today, many build their shelters near their homes instead of going to Jerusalem. So, great example, my husband and I, we're building our, our campus site outside right in our backyard. Uh, sukkah is a temporary shelter. Getting away from our sturdy homes and sitting in a fragile shelter open to the extremes of weather, we come face to face with our own limitations. Our human bodies are like frail tents with many weaknesses, but this is a temporary situation. In 2 Corinthians 5.1, it says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. For while we are in this tent, we groan in our burden, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. This part I actually read to Ben, my husband, uh, a few days ago because I just, it really, you know, you almost have like a light bulb moment, like, huh, like that's such a good point and I never really thought of it this way. It says, staying in the sukkah also reminds us of the Israelites who wandered for 40 years in the desert, living in temporary shelters. During that time, God came down on the holy tabernacle in a pillar of fire and cloud and filled it with his Shekinah glory, that is, his dwelling glory. Later, Yeshua came to dwell in a fragile temporary shelter, a human body, and was called Emmanuel, which means God with us. In John 1.14, it says, The word, Yeshua, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory the glory of the one and only who came from the father, full of grace and truth. How amazing is it that Yeshua chose to dwell among us in the frail human form that we already are in, that he chose to come down and be our salvation. That's just amazing to me. And that we do live in our own sukkah, right? Because our bodies, our human bodies that we're in right now are temporary. And so if, uh, you know, if you for some reason cannot do um, what Adonai has commanded us to do, which is living in a temporary shelter, just know you already are living in a temporary shelter. Um, I don't want you to feel bad about it. You know, um, Ben and I have been uh, messianic believers trying to follow um the word and do what Adonai has called us to do. And this is the first year guys, the first year we've actually even been able to make the attempt to live outside for seven days. And I'm really excited about it. Um, I know my children are as well. So that's always a huge thing, especially because my children are all teenagers. And if you have teenagers, you understand um, teenagers typically aren't really excited about much of anything. <laughs> And if they are, they keep it to themselves. So really excited um, to be able to spending time in our sukkah and spending more time in the word with our children. Um, Sukkot is a good time to remember that we are strangers and foreigners on this earth like Avraham in search of a better country. 
Hebrews 11, 8 through 10 says, By faith, Avraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Since the roof of a sukkah is made with branches, we can see the stars from inside. As we sit in our shelter and gaze at the mighty handiwork of God in the dark sky, we anticipate our heavenly home, Yeshua tells us in John 14, 2 and 3, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Now, for us, we're going to be using a tent. Um, our tents do have rain flaps, which we, I think, are going to take off unless it's going to rain. So we can also look at the stars. For me, um, the outdoors is not super kind to me. I have an allergic reaction no matter what bites me. So it's good for us to be in a tent. Being in a sukkah, unfortunately, would uh, a, a traditional sukkah where you have an open roof would not be conducive um, to me being able to... Uh, take part in this particular feast and have joy in doing so, I would get eaten alive, quite frankly. And so would a couple of my other children. For whatever reason, the mosquitoes and other bugs really enjoy our flesh. So I'm really glad that I'm still going to be able to see the stars and look up into the sky um, without having to worry about the mosquitoes getting in and eating me. So, um, you know, it, it's... Suka, a lot of people are very adamant about how exactly it has to be made. Um, Suka means a temporary dwelling. And um, a tent is temporary, unless, of course, you live in a tent all the time, I guess. But you temporarily live somewhere in a tent, and then you can pick up the tent to move elsewhere. So I, I definitely think it falls under those uh, particular uh, parameters. Revelation tells us what our new home will be like when God dwells with us permanently. Revelation 21, 1 through 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. I don't know about you, but I'm very much looking forward to a time when that is so. During the Feast of Tabernacles, 13 bulls were sacrificed the first day, 12 on the second, and so on, until there are seven sacrificed on the seventh day for a total of 70 bulls. That is a lot of bulls. You can find that in Numbers 29, 12 through 39. These were sacrifices for the heathen nations, which were believed to number 70. Though these nations knew nothing of Adonai, he knew of them and included them in this festival and in his plan of salvation. The very first time God spoke to Abraham, he told him in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Leave your uh, country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Yeshua is the fulfillment of that very promise. John or Yohanan says about him in 1 John 2.2, 2, He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only 
for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Hospitality is an important aspect of tabernacles. Inviting others, especially the poor, to eat with you is an important custom. Um, like I said, we're actually going to be trying to cook a lot of our meals on the fire pit in the backyard. I actually have a separate tent <laughs> that has um, netting around it so that we can eat in there in peace without the flies trying to eat us. And, of course, the other bugs not to eat us alive while we're eating there. So um, I know I'm, I'm high maintenance, but um, I'm looking forward to a time where maybe we're not necessarily camping in our backyard, but actually... With others, ideally, I really would love to do, um, the first time I'd ever even heard of someone doing this was in Hawaii, and um, of course, they had uh, a campsite right next to the beach, which I think would be pretty awesome, because the beach actually helps to keep the bugs away, so I would love to be able to camp near a beach and have that breeze there and um, thoroughly just enjoy um, our time there and our children just enjoying the beach and God's creation there. If you're camping in the woods, that's also fantastic. Or in the mountains, that's awesome. Um, all these places I would love to be able to camp um, at some point. But um, baby steps, guys. Baby steps. You don't want to do it all at once and then get discouraged because you're supposed to. This is supposed to be a joyous occasion, not something where that you do not look forward to every year. It's something you should look forward to every year. So... Um, they also, um, there's a lot of traditions here. You know, I've talked about good traditions and bad traditions before. Um, this is not necessarily a tradition. It's actually part of the feast because he does talk about it in Leviticus uh, 23, which is uh, what I already read to you. But we're to, supposed to, on the first day, you're to take choice fruit from the trees and palm fronds, leafy branches, and poplars and rejoice before Adonai, your God, for seven days. So in obedience to this instruction, people carry and wave a bundle of branches called a lulav. I don't know if I'm saying that right. The traditional lulav is made of palm, myrtle, and willow branches, along with a large lemon-like citron, a trog. Each day, the celebrants make one circuit around the synagogue, shaking the lulav toward the four points of the compass and upwards and downwards. On the seventh day, they make seven circuits. Um, the first time I'd ever even seen a trog, the citrus fruit was during one of the feasts of um, Sukkot, and I had never seen this sucker before. Um, we actually have ordered ours for our congregation through Amazon. Hopefully it will be here in time. I'm sure it will. They actually do not ship them out until after Yom Kippur because they want to make sure that the fruits are fresh. So I'm uh, I'm pretty excited about that. I've never actually eaten one, um, but I'm also allergic to lemons, so it's probably safe for me not to. But um, it's so interesting. Um and such a delight um, to celebrate this particular feast. Um, there's actually quite a bit more. Uh, in During the time of Yeshua, there were four towering golden candelabras, also known as menorahs, in the courtyard of women. And they were lit on the fourth day of, the, of Sukkot. And um, this light was a symbol of the word of God coming from out of Jerusalem to the whole world. These, these things are so tall, I, I can't even believe it. They would have youths of the priests climb 70, 75 feet up on ladders and pour 10 gallons of pure oil into the bowls on the top of each menorah. The wicks were made from the worn out garments of the priests. So, you know, they didn't waste anything. They reused things. 
And there was dancing and singing well into the night with every kind of musical instrument. The priest sang the Psalms of Ascent, which you'll find, uh, which are Psalms 120 to 134. So much light shone from these uh, menorahs that they lit up every courtyard in all of Jerusalem. It reminded the people of how God lit the way for the Israelites in the wilderness by his very presence as a pillar of fire by night to shine on the way they were to take. But the light of the temple fell short. Reaching all the nations required an even brighter light, the light of the world. It was during this festival that Yeshua spoke to the people saying in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. God prophesied about Yeshua in Isaiah or Yeshayahu uh, 42, 1 through 4. This is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I have put my spirit upon him. He shall teach the true way to the nations. A bruised reed, he shall not be broken. A dim wick, he shall not be snuffed out. Hasatan tried to extinguish the light, but Yeshua could not be snuffed out. He conquered death and offers life and light to all who come to him. Of him, Adonai says, Isaiah 42, 6-7, I, Adonai, will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, the Goim. To open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Paul said it beautifully when he was on trial for spreading the good news about Yeshua. Acts 26, 22-23. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets, the Nevi'im, and Moses, or Moshe, said would happen. That the Christ, Hamashiach, would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would proclaim light to his own people, Israel, and to the Gentiles, the Goyim. There are a lot of other traditions uh, that coincide with this, but really I want you to just enjoy this time. It's a really good time of fellowship and love and family. Um, and the other reason I love this book is because it, it, for each feast, they have an easy outline for celebrating. So, you know, they, they encourage you to study the festival before you do it. You know, can't plan to camp out with friends, make projects build a sukkah, um, prepare productions. One of the productions they have here is a nativity play because for many scholars, we believe that Yeshua actually was born around this time and during this feast. Um, and so it would make more sense to do a nativity play during this time than it ever would during Christmas time because he was not born on Christmas day. There's, there's literally no way he was born on Christmas day. Um, but this is definitely the most likely time of year where he was born. Um, if you want more information on that, um, please let me know and maybe I'll do a podcast about it. Um, try to camp out or live in your sukkah. Um, study special themes. Choose um, something with seven or eight parts to it, one for each day. Study Ecclesiastes. Um, that's a Jewish tradition. The purpose is to allow God to plant things of lasting value in your heart. And you study different portion every, every day, study different aspects of God's sheltering presence in Psalm 27, 31, 34, 36, 57, 63, and 91. Um, study what the Bible has to say about seven or eight topics related to the festival, such as water, harvests, joy, tabernacles, travel, shelter, and impermanence. 
Make a thankfulness family project. Choose a different blessing to thank God for each day, such as salvation, shelter, provision, family and friends, mentors, and godly role models. His plans um, to give you a good future and his presence with you. Um, study Hebrews 11 and related scriptures, focusing on the way each hero of the faith lived while looking for a better country. There are so many different um, examples here. Eat special foods. Um, because it comes during the harvest, the evening meal features lots of vegetables and fruits piled high on platters. The pilgrims fashioned Thanksgiving after the Feast of Tabernacles. I know a lot of you didn't know that. It's true. I would also maybe even watch uh, Monumental, which is by Kirk Cameron. I know I'm not a huge fan of him sometimes. Other times he's great. But this particular uh, documentary he did, it was amazing. And it was something that I was really upset about because it's about a monument that I was not an hour away from growing up and knew nothing about it. Um, but it has to do with the pilgrims. Um, you know, sound the shofar. Include the reading of Psalm 27, uh, because that's traditionally what's read during this time. Um, pray for rain. The whole world depends on the gracious provision of God. So uh, the next feast, it's like a minor feast, I guess is what you call it, is Simcha Torah. And I did discuss that a little bit. Um, prepare for it. That's the other thing you can do during this time. I may or may not be talking about it Um Next week, there's so much I did not actually even go over um, when it comes to Sukkot. It is just a great time, a wonderful time to spend with your family and just to give thanks and be joyful for all that God has provided for us. So just remember that. It's so important to remember that all, is God is, all that God has done uh, for us. Um Another part of this uh, book that I really enjoy says The Lion of Narnia and the Lion of Judah. She has a whole section of discussing this thing with your kids, which is something they'd be interested in. If they've read the Chronicles of Narnia, they will be able to relate to what they're talking about with Sukkot. So um, I would encourage you to go out there and either buy this book or hopefully I've given you enough um, examples of what you can do. Um make some fun, fun, great food with fruits and vegetables. If you have your own garden. You know, make yourself a salad or make different things with your children and invite them to join you in the kitchen and make it a fun time, something that they will remember. Um, you know, put away the electronics and the technology and things of that nature and just put our focus on God. Now, that being said, I'm going to leave you like I do every single week with the ironic blessing, which you'll find in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 to 27, uh, 26. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Hashem Yeshua, Shalom, in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Now may you have a blessed week. Hopefully what I said makes sense. I know I'm not feeling so great. So I pray that you got something out of what um, you learned today about Sukkot. Go out there and be a light to the nations. And make your dwelling place your own body a living sacrifice for him. Until next time, please feel free to message me at messymessianicmama.com or you can email me at elmmm3 at protonmail.com. That's E is an echo, L is in lemur, M is in Mike, M is in Mike, 
Amazon Mike, the number three at protonmail.com. You can also leave me a one minute voicemail message on anchor.fm slash Erica Lacasse, and it should have a button right there to say, leave a voice message. Remember to keep it short and sweet if you have any questions or you just want to leave a nice little comment. I would love to hear from you.